You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Pharisees, it says they love money and they were sneering at it. Who is he? They don't love money. They did love money. But they acted like they did. And on the outside, they presented to people because they were givers, they were givers, they were givers, and yet they still love money. That's interesting. The answer for a money-loving Pharisee, listen to this, is not to give more money. The answer to a money-loving person is to have a heart change because where your treasure is, there your heart is. If you were to look at someone's bank statement, it likely would give you a good idea of what they treasure. Maybe they value the money itself and feel a strong sense of security in saving up. Maybe they spend every dime on momentary pleasures and possessions, building up earthly treasures and experiences. Or maybe they hold it loosely, giving it to the church and to others. As Pastor Danny will point out in the example of the Pharisees, they thought that they were so close to God when really they had made self their God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Joshua, chapter 23, as he continues his message, A Renewed Commitment. careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. You won't live in victory any longer. Instead, they'll become snares, keep you from moving on, traps, Whips on your backs be painful. Thorns in your eyes. You won't have good vision, spiritually speaking, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. They had known victory, and now Joshua is saying, you've known victory, but if you're not careful, you'll know what it is to be defeated. Don't be defeated. Verse 14, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm an old man. That's what he's saying. You know, with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he's destroyed you from this good land he's given you. In other words, you're going to lose the blessing of God if you don't be careful if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you'll quickly perish from the good land he's given you. It's an awful thing to have known the blessing of the Lord and then lose the blessing because of foolish living, disobedience. But even when that happens, there's still hope. Someone said a fool is one who keeps doing the same things, expecting different results. You can walk away from the Lord. You can fail. 
And I think everybody knows failure to some degree. But then you can also repent and come back to the Lord. Chapter 24, then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before the Lord. So basically, all the leaders are there and all the people are there. It's a, it, it's a, it's a church meeting. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your fathers, forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worship other gods. He's reminding them, your father of faith, Abraham, and his parents, they were idolaters. They have a history of sin. And God called them, and they responded, and God gave them a new life. I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Here he's giving them a history lesson of the people of faith and what God did for them, beginning with Abraham, the father of faith, specifically faith in the Messiah through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We have the faith of Abraham. We believe in the Messiah, the Savior. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, verse 6, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. And I underlined, even this morning, then you lived in the desert for a long time. Because after he redeemed you from Egypt, the world, that's our salvation, then he sought to teach us to live by faith. And that takes some time. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. You took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. So he blessed you instead of cursing you again and again. And I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan. Big step. And you came to Jericho and you began now to learn to live by faith. And greater blessings came. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, all the ites. <laughs> but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, bad dudes. You didn't do it with your own sword and bow. It was the Lord. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. I gave you things that you had nothing to do with. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God. You live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So he gives them a history lesson. And then here comes the punchline. Verse 14. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your fathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Whoa, that ought to get your attention. 
I don't want you to miss what that punchline is. He reminds them how God's blessed them, the heritage of faith they have, all the victories, all the blessings. He warns them, be careful that you don't go back, that you don't worship the gods of the nations still around you, that you don't associate with these people. He's not talking about having unsaved friends or non-Christian friends. He's talking about the kind of association that pulls you down to their level, where you came from, and don't intermarry with them. Don't marry out of the will of God. He's giving them practical things that if, you, if you're not careful, you'll end up living like you used to live. But I called you out of that. I called you away from that lifestyle. But some have obviously gone back to it. That's verse 14. Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He wouldn't say that unless those gods are among them. I have a very important question at this point. How did he know? He wouldn't say, throw away the gods you have among you, the gods you should not have among you, unless they had them. How did he know? Well, it's only one of two ways he knew. One is, they had them right there. I mean, they're in their houses. They're on their cars. You know, maybe they carry them with them in their purse. Maybe when he pulls out his wallet, maybe I don't know where. I, somehow, either either they're they're obvious, they're obvious. What are you doing with that? What are you doing doing that? Or, or God gave him a supernatural word of knowledge, and sometimes God does that, and other times He doesn't. Rachel, Rachel, one of Jacob's wives, stole her father's household gods, and God didn't give her husband a word of knowledge about it. But you get to places like the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Peter gave, God gave Peter a word of knowledge about Ananias and Sapphira's sin. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen every Sunday, I don't think. At least I don't know about it every Sunday. But there have been many times as I have taught the word of God in a church service like this, that people, uh, people will actually sometimes say to me, my neighbor ratted on me. They invite somebody to the church and they think that this person that invited them to the church told me about their life. But sometimes it's just a natural, supernatural word of knowledge. And thank God in all the years I've been doing ministry, God's never given me a name. What if God gave me your name and I called you out right now? Well... You'd either get right with God, or it would be the last time you ever attended this church. <laughs> I don't know how he knew, but he knew. And after the warning, and then the history lesson about faith, and what God's called him from, and what God's called him to, now he says, so, so, throw away the foreign gods among you. What were these gods? Now, I could have, I could have, if I'd taken the time showing you some pictures of some of these gods that they sometimes worship. I chose not to do. I could have given you a list and some of the characteristics of these gods. What I want to do very quickly is just remind you of some of the most prominent ones, because there were many. And we know of the most prominent ones because they're recorded for us in our Bible, because time and time again, Israel went back to worshiping these gods 
instead of the God of Israel. Leviticus 18.21 specifically says, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. That was one of the gods. Interesting just to think, what kind of a god would convince a parent, a mother, to sacrifice your child? Well, that was one of the ways you worship Molech. You would sacrifice your child. You'd take your little baby, you'd come to the altar, and you'd put your baby on the altar, and you'd give your baby, and your baby would die. Now, that God's still around today. Now, we don't call him Molech here in America, but he's at every abortion clinic there is. And he's convincing women to give up their child. It's the same God. It doesn't matter what the motivation is. It's a hindrance. It's a mistake. It's not a person. It's a thing. Well, you've never, ever gotten an education on somebody being pregnant. And who knows? Maybe, maybe there's somebody here watching my live stream. You need to hear this. And you're about to offer your child. I beg you. At least go get some education. It's not just a fetus. It's a person. Great ministry. New life solutions in our area. Go for free. They won't charge you anything. Go. They'll even show you a sonogram for free. Go. They'll give you counsel for free. Before you make that decision, at least go get some education. Another prominent God. Baal or Baal. The third one is Asherah or Ashtaroth. And you find these mentioned in the Bible. <clears throat> Let me just summarize. This is what you really need to hear. Not be impressed with seeing the old images of these gods and all the particulars about them. Because you can take the pantheon of these gods, and there were many of them. And really the summary of what they offered and the enticement. You know what it was? One was sexual sin. Pretty much just about every one of them, there was something of a sexual nature that was outside of the will of God. That you were involved in some kind of sexual sin. And that's what these gods enticed to. I remind you, sex was created by God. But the gods of this world look to pull you away from the will of God and get you to have sex outside of holy matrimony. And when you do, you've just bowed to a God of this world. Money and materialism. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, and he's saying this to a bunch of religious people who were committed as far as they thought to God. But he said, he said, Luke chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, you can't serve God and money. And the Pharisees, it says, they love money and they were sneering at it. Who is he? We don't love money. They did love money. But they acted like they didn't. And on the outside, they presented to people because they were givers. They were givers. They were givers. And yet they still love money. That's interesting. The answer for a money-loving Pharisee, listen to this, is not to give more money. The answer to a money-loving person is to have a heart change because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You see, the Pharisees' problem wasn't what they gave, it's what they kept and what they did with what they kept. How do I know? Let me help you out a little bit. How do I know if I love money? I'll give you a couple of scriptures. You can write them down. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Great verse on this. Ecclesiastes 5.10. And here's what it says. This is easy for anybody to understand. 
Whoever loves money never has money enough. How do I know if I love money? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Whoever has money, loves money, never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Now, don't misunderstand. doesn't mean it's wrong to say, well, I wish I could make a little more. I could provide for my family better. Well, pray about it and be faithful with whatever work God's given you. But some people, their goal is just to make more so they can have more. And listen, we're all susceptible to it, including moi. Listen, I'm just as human as you. John the Baptist, when he came, John chapter 3 records for us that as he's preaching, repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some people came to him personally after a message, and they would say, well, what do we need to do? Tell us specifically. I don't understand. And one group in particular, some soldiers came, and they said, well, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money, because that was one of the common things they did. They extorted money from people. They'd accuse them falsely. Our sale made you owe this much, and they really only owe this much, and then they pocket the, the profit. But then he adds something. Don't extort money and be content with your pay. Money, materialism, sexual sin. Here's another one. These gods, what they entice people to do is to have a goal in life. What's good for you? You do what's good for you. You, you have a goal in life that it's your comfort. It's your pleasure. That's what life's all about. That God's still around today. It's me. Well, what's in it for me? Jesus' teaching is the antithesis of me and what's good for me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. If a man looks to save his life, he's going to lose it. But if he will lose his life for me, then he'll find it. It's the great paradox, but it's the message of Christianity. It's the life of the cross. And in the life of the cross, the, the, the great mystery, but the wonder of the mystery is if I'll say no to myself and yes to God, that's where I find what life is really all about. Money, materialism, sexual sin, pleasure. Comfort. Now, on this one, I also don't want us to misunderstand. Psalm 1611 says this, You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God's not against pleasure. So don't anybody think that we should all join a monastery and sit in a corner somewhere, and, and anybody that thinks that in heaven you're just going to sit on a cloud and play a harp, that ain't the heaven I'm going to. We're going to have a blast. God's not a killjoy. Matter of fact, a verse that prophesies about the Messiah that he, you've anointed him with the oil of joy. God's not against pleasure. God's certainly not against joy. It's the deception of what will give us eternal pleasure, what will give us joy that the world can't take away. Hebrews 11 says, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. For a short time, Hebrews eleven twenty five, the pleasures of sin for a short time. So God's not against pleasure, but if it's pleasure that violates the will of God, then I've just bought into a lie. I've just bowed to a God of this world, and I believe that this is the way to go, and it's a lie. 
Now fear the Lord, verse 14, chapter 24, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your fathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And now verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua's not saying that arrogantly. He's not saying that self-righteously. It's wonderful when a leader can say, whatever choice you're making, that's, that's between you and the Lord, but you just need to know, I've made my choice. It's great to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. And I, you know, I haven't always been able to say that, but I, I can stand here before you today and I can say that. And so I say to you as your pastor, the same thing Joshua said to these people, including the leaders. I don't know what choice you're going to make, but I've made my choice. God never forces anybody. Isn't that, what a gracious God. He never forces anybody. He says, here's the way it is, and here's what I've called you to, and anybody, anybody can fall back, and anybody can fall away, but guess what? The wonderful thing is, you can make a decision, you can repent. And God won't force you to repent. It's a choice. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What in the world are you talking about? It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord. We're, we're with you, man, because he's our God. I think some people may be sitting there thinking, they say, what? what are you talking about? I'm with you, man. So Joshua then said to the people, and this is where it gets very interesting. Joshua said, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. And this becomes a counseling session now. Because verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, 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 we'll serve the Lord. Well, didn't you hear what we said? We're with you. And then Joshua said, okay, you're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. In other words, I heard what you said. So if you don't live it, it's a witness. What you said is a witness against you. And they said, yes, okay, we're witnesses. Verse 23, now then said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. And yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And it's just one verbal commitment after another. And when they make a verbal commitment, Joshua comes back and says, well, you can't do it unless you get rid of those gods. And Joshua chooses not to leave them with just a verbal commitment. Verse 25, he says, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He draws up, he writes them some scripture verses. He gives it to them. He recorded, okay, I'm recording. Here's what's happened today. You made several verbal commitments. So here's what you're saying you're going to do. Here's how you're going to live. And then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. 
See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It'll be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message from the book of Joshua again, or hear more from Pastor Danny Hodges, simply visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something you read hits your heart exactly where you're at or what you're going through. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we would continue to seek God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. We'd also like to ask you to pray about supporting The Living Word financially. If you feel led, you can find a way to do this through our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.